So this morning I have a really great, hope-filled message for you. So let's pray before we get started. God, I just pray that you would open up your word to us in a new way this morning. Holy Spirit, you're so welcome here. Come and have your way. Tune our ears into what you're saying to us, Lord. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So, um, two of Satan's favorite weapons to use against us are guilt and condemnation. So, condemnation is the expression of very strong disapproval or the action of condemning someone to punishment. And guilt is a feeling of having committed wrong or having failed in an obligation. Revelations 12.10 is a great verse because um, it tells us what's going to happen in the future, but it also tells us what's happening now. So Revelations 12.10 says, The accuser of our brethren, who accused them before God day and night, has been cast down. Now that's good news because that means he's going to be cast down. But it tells us what he's doing to us right now, and that is he's accusing us day and night. He's relentless in trying to undermine our faith. So we have to learn how to deal with mistakes, regrets, and sin. And we have to learn how to recognize condemnation. So there's a big difference between conviction from the Holy Spirit and condemnation. And I wanted to quickly explain that. So conviction is when the Holy Spirit is nudging you to deal with something. He's telling you to bring it into the light, to seek help, showing you ways to overcome. And condemnation is just Satan trying to make you feel bad. He's trying to make you feel unworthy, that sense of shame, and to keep your sin hidden. You know, don't bring it into the light. So conviction leads you towards God, and condemnation keeps you away from him. So I'm reading a book at the moment called um, War of the Ages by Dr. Gregory Reed, and he says this. Every believer will at some time feel the harsh breath of the enemy when they are vulnerable, and even more so when they fail in some area. That is why it is essential that we teach believers when they fall or fail in sin not to stay down, but to immediately get up and be cleansed by the blood of Jesus and keep walking. More Christians have been derailed by condemnation than any other sin or issue. Wow. Satan counts on us wallowing in our failure and guilt. So one of the most powerful biblical truths we need to have a revelation of is how completely God forgives us when we come to him in repentance. Amen? Amen. So this morning we're going to take a look at some examples from the Bible, which are very encouraging because, you know, when we fail and trip up and do the wrong thing, we're in really good company. So the first um, lot of people we're going to look at are the disciples. So this is in Matthew 26. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there. Matthew 26, uh, verses 31 to 35. So we're going to take a look at all of the disciples and in particular, Peter. So reading from verse 31, Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter, gotta love Peter, he answered and said to him, Even if all, so even if everyone else stumbles because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, 
you will deny me three times. And Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. And then Jesus is at his really lowest point in his life in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he asks his disciples to pray for him. Verse 38 says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He goes away and comes back. And we all know the story. The disciples are snoring, fast asleep. And he says, couldn't you just pray with me for one hour? He goes away and he comes back and they failed again. And soon after that, they all completely desert him. Verse 56, it's one of the saddest verses, I think, says, all of the disciples forsook him and fled. The very thing they said they wouldn't do. Have you ever read the Bible and thought, I wouldn't do that? No, I'd handle things a bit differently. But I don't think we would. You know, we're all the same. We all struggle with the same issues. And it's most likely when we say that we wouldn't, like Peter, that we do. And Peter denies Jesus three times. Verse 75 says he went out and wept bitterly. Can you imagine that feeling of having denied your Lord and Savior three times? So after the resurrection, Jesus meets up with his disciples. Matthew 28, 17 says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. And then there's these three words, but some doubted. So, right, they've seen him do miracles. They've seen him heal people, preach these amazing messages. They've seen him crucified and buried and and raised again. Raised again? Raised again. (laughs) But still, they doubt. So if you have doubts about your faith this morning, or sometimes, even when you've seen God move before, it's really nothing new to him. But you just need to bring your doubts to him. Mm. So after all of this has happened, the disciples messed up, denied Jesus, some are doubting. This is what he says to him. I think this is just so amazing. And we know this verse, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. So he gives them the Great Commission, the most important mission ever he gave to the deserters and to the doubters. His plans and his purposes for the disciples had not changed. Isn't that good news? So good. Whatever God has destined for you, Just because you've made mistakes, you've messed up. If you come to him and surrender and you repent, his plan remains the same. You know, I felt a call to uh, worship lead from a very young age. I didn't know what worship leading was, actually. I just felt a call to sing for God, you know, as a little girl. And I have these memories, like I would sing with this broken red microphone on the step of the lounge like this to the carpet, but only if no one was looking. Because I had this mountain in my life that was called fear and insecurity. And um, my mum was, uh, I think I've shared a bit about this before, but my mum was the leader of the music group at church. And she would force me to sing sometimes. And I'd sing in a very quiet voice on the stage. And I even have a video of myself. My parents wanted to video me singing. And I took the the leaves of the houseplant behind me and I put them over my face. And I (laughs) got this video. I sung from behind the plant. So, you know, it was a real big thing in my life. And then that carried on into my teenage years. I wouldn't sing for anybody. I wouldn't sing for my parents. I wouldn't sing for my friends. 
I wouldn't let anybody hear my voice because I was so afraid that the very thing that I desired to do, I wouldn't be good enough and that other people would, would confirm that, that the rejection that I felt that I was going to get. So that carried on and then into my, got slightly better kind of in my young adult years, but um, because I was quiet and I thought it was prideful to put yourself out there and say, this is what I'm, I want to do, this is what I feel called to do. So I kept quiet and then I was overlooked and that compounded that, that rejection kind of cycle that I went through. But you know, I look back and God was working so much in my life, you know, while I was while I was hidden, while I was walking through this journey, God was working things in me. And I bet, you know, I wanted to share that story because I bet some of you look at me, you know, on stage every couple of weeks and don't imagine that that was where I'd come from, you know, that I had this mountain of fear and insecurity. So God can turn things around, right? No matter the size of your mountain or what you've struggled with or the, the issues you have in your life, God can turn it around. Yeah. So don't let the devil tell you you're disqualified. You're not. You're not disqualified this morning. This is also not a message of cheap grace, though. You know, we can't act however we want and do whatever we want and then presume on, on the... Um, grace and forgiveness of God, because God is holy. Um, oh, God, I lost a little bit. Yeah, God is holy, so that means there's no trace of evil in his character. But when we repent and are cleansed by his blood, the power of the blood is that God can now come close to you, even in your sin. So back to the disciples. This is a little bit later. We're um, picking up again in John 21. So Jesus had appeared to them a couple of times. You know, uh, Thomas had had that experience with him where he put his hands in the holes, put his hands in the holes in Jesus' hands. And um, Jesus had appeared to them a couple of times. But now it was a little while later and they'd gone back to their occupation. So we pick up with Peter in John 21. So they were fishing and Jesus comes walking along the shore. And um, at first they don't recognize him. But when they do, Peter doesn't wait for the boats to get back to the shore. He throws himself into the water to get to Jesus. Do you know the story? Yeah. So, you know, this talks to me of someone who is fully restored. Right? Peter was so eager to get to Jesus. This doesn't tell me of someone who was feeling shame and guilt and condemnation and was separated from his Lord. He didn't spend the rest of his life with his head bowed down because of his sins and his shame. He became the leader of the apostles. That's amazing grace. So imagine last night that, you know, or in the last couple of days you've done something, something you feel bad about. You've repented and you've asked for forgiveness. Are you still feeling bad, guilty, or are you running into the arms of Jesus? And I'm going to give you a moment at the end of the service to do just that. The second um, story I want to look at this morning is the prodigal son. So this is Luke 15, if you want to turn there in your Bible. We know the story well. The prodigal son walks away into the life of sin, ends up in a pig's pen, comes to his senses and returns home. But the thing about the story that's different from the disciples, what we just learned, was that uh, the prodigal son deliberately planned to walk away. So he made a plan. He went to his father, said, give me my inheritance. Then he packed his bags and he walked away. 
Now, some of you might be able to relate to that. You've made a plan to go your own way. And, you know, the father in his wisdom doesn't beg him to stay. You know, he doesn't beg him. He gives him his inheritance and he lets him go. But this is the father's response when he returns. Verse 20. He arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. Now, why would he have had compassion? This is just my thinking. But I reckon he was walking back with his shoulders stooped, his head bowed down, feeling very low and unworthy. He was humbled. And the father saw that and ran to him and fell on his neck and kissed him. You know, we take one step back towards God, and God runs to us. So the prodigal son then, he was willing to be a hired servant. He said, okay, I'm going to settle for second best life. I've done all these wrong things. Just make me a servant, Father. But he had great news for his son. He would be given back his full rights, as if he had never walked away. So I read a story about the grandson of uh, Billy Graham. He has a prodigal son story. So this is the son of Billy Graham's oldest daughter, Ruth, I think her name was. And this is just shows, you know, you can grow up in the most amazing home and still go your own way. He said his home was full of love. They served God. Um, they had um, great times together, lots of love. But still, he felt like he just didn't fit in. So at 16, he walked away, went his own way lived wildly, drugs, ended up in jail a few times. And he talked about having a numb conscience after a while as he got deeper into dark waters. But eventually, at 21, he thought, you know, how did I end up here? And he ended up back in church. And what attracted him back? The love of God shown through the love of his mum and dad. And he could find nothing like that in the world. But the only one who wasn't happy, as we know, was the prodigal son's brother. You know, I can understand that as a sibling, you know, your naughty sisters, you know, I've got two sisters, you know, they go and do all these things and then they come back and they get everything back. And you're like, that's not fair, right? Brothers and sisters in the house, yeah. But, you know, until we understand how much we have been forgiven ourselves then we can begin to understand that we have no right to withhold forgiveness from others. We don't want any older brother in us. The Pharisees were like that. And you know, the longer I'm a Christian, the more sinful I realize I am and the less right I have to judge and point the finger. Awesome. You're still with me? Quiet. Okay, we've got one more person to look at. Um, and this person... He got a bad deal right from the start. So he, um, he was born in a home that was hostile to him through no fault of his own. So maybe that's um, some of you can identify with that. Wasn't your fault. Was external circumstances. And his name is Jephthah. Everyone say Jephthah. <laughs> I'm hoping I don't trip up on this name. Judges 11, 1 to 3. Jephthah. The Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. Gilead begot Jephthah. And then Gilead's actual wife, so he was begotten through a harlot, Gilead's actual wife bore sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, 
they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers, and worthless men banded together and went out raiding with him. So Jephthah was an illegitimate child, son of a prostitute, raised in a home of hatred and hostility, and then he became a criminal. So he went raiding with people. But then in this amazing turn of events, we find Jephthah becomes the leader of Israel. So the leaders of Israel come to him because he's a mighty man of valor and he's really good at fighting. So they come to him and ask him to help defeat their enemies. And he said, under one condition, you make me your leader. And they did. So he had no rightful claim to such a high calling except for one thing, God's grace. Mm. So no matter the start that you've had in life, God can turn your life around. Yeah. 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, if you remember anything this morning, I'd love you to remember this verse. This is a verse that we should commit to memory. Let's read it together. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Ever tried to measure east to west? You can't. And just this last story I wanted to share um, the general, the great general of the Salvation Army, so he had a vision of heaven. And he said it was laid out before him a record of his past. And the thing is, he thought, you know, that from the time of his salvation, there'd be no record of his sins. But he said when his life was laid out, there was no record at all, past and present. Did you know there is no record of your sins in heaven? None, past, present, or future. No record of your sins. So I mentioned um, right at the start about whether you feel forgiven. Well, we can't live according to our feelings in this, in this area. We can't go with our feelings because we have an accuser. So we need to stand on the word of God. 1 John 1, 9, you know, you can quote that to your accuser. Stand on that word, quote it as much as you like until your feelings follow. You are completely forgiven this morning. Amen. Amen. So um, this has gone quite quickly this morning, but if I can just get the uh, worship team up. I just want to give us a moment to sit with God. You know, um, there may be something that you want to bring before God this morning. A regret, a failure, mistake, a sin. In whatever way you want to do that, um, put your hands up, you can kneel, sit, stand, whatever you like. But, you know, I want you to leave this morning with the lightness in your heart, you know, with the burdens off, because you are completely forgiven. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us.
and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So why don't you just close your eyes. Thank you that we are completely forgiven this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross. Thank you that you paid for us. You've redeemed us with your blood. And this morning, we bring all of us before you, our regrets, our failures, our sins, and we lay it at your feet. And we stand on your word that you are faithful to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I thank you that right now, in the power of your blood, we are cleansed, we are forgiven, and we are free. Amen. Why don't you stand? We're going to worship. We'll come to the altar.